Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I want to welcome all the newcomers to the channel. I've noticed uh, the hits going up on these videos as well as the subscribers. And I'm really happy to see new people commenting and participating. Um, I'll try, as always, I'll try my best to make everything I talk about as easy to understand as possible. But some things use a lot of acronyms and get really nerdy. So if you're new to the channel and there's anything in here that you don't understand, definitely jump into the comments because while I don't always have time to go through them, there's a lot of awesome people that read the comments and are willing to help. But anyway, uh, good to see all of you again, and let's jump right into the news. I'll start with an update to a story I talked about last week. Benj Edwards had revealed the world's first Virtual Boy dual arcade stick, and just a few days ago, he showed the hyper-fighting version of that, which is a pretty cool arcade stick-style thing that you could use for Virtual Boy. So uh, the color scheme is meant to match what the actual Virtual Boy looks like, and the buttons are meant to match up with the six-button Street Fighter layout. So with this, you're able to play Hyper Fighting in 3D on the virt Virtual Boy with an arcade stick. Um, these are selling for 250 but they're handmade and hand-painted, so you're getting a high-quality... I guess this is something that's both functional and kind of like a collector's item type of thing, which I like a lot. I mean, for me, my focus is always in what's the most functional thing, um, but I, I love that there's stuff like this as well. Uh, eventually, I would also like to either make my own or buy an insert so I could just install it in my existing arcade sticks um, and have extra functionality that way, but I'm picking one of these up because it's just too cool to pass up. Um, I will be doing a video on all this stuff when I get it, uh, and of course, it's uh, all of the video footage will be recorded through Furtex TV out, but it's just a fun and exciting time for people who like the Virtual Boy, because uh, the community is really coming up with some cool, cool stuff, and uh, especially with a lot of the new software tools that I talked about in the past few months, I'm really hoping to see a lot more interesting homebrew games on it as well. I think the only thing missing now is a flash cart. I know a few people were talking about working on one, but I'm not sure how far away that is. Um, there's the Flash Boy, which is a single Flash cart for it. And of course, you could buy any of the individual carts, but uh, I really would like a micro SD based, just load up all the games and go Crick style Flash cart. So, fingers crossed, and I'll let everybody know when I get this stick because I'm pretty excited to try it out. Someone recently posted a video of the Mr. FPGA platform installed into an arcade cabinet. And I believe it was a pretty simple using a JPack to interface with an RGB monitor style of uh, installation. And I tried that myself when uh, Dirk Swizzler let me borrow his JPack. And in all honesty, I think it's a great solution. I'm just really hoping for the same thing I talked about a few weeks ago, a couple of small forks to the project, uh, where all of the FPGA cores would be the same, but um, focusing on supporting uh, at least two, possibly three different hardware styles for it. Um, one, of course, would be JAMA for anybody that wants to install on an arcade cabinet. 
And I'd also like to see just a standard RGB retro style output, as well as, I guess, just plain old HDMI using the DE10 Nano with no nothing else except maybe controller port um, inputs on it. So uh, it's a pretty cool video and a, a pretty interesting design, but I would love to see more of these things, and I'd love to see the hardware to make it easier for everybody to do it as well. Firebrand X recently posted a guide that shows you how to do an optical audio installation into an older PlayStation 1. Um, I know a lot of people use PS2s with built-in optical audio out, but for those of us who want to use the SIO or really just want to use original hardware, this is a pretty cool way to get it. Um, FBX shows us a way to do it both as a no-cut mod and how to cut a hole and make it a pretty nice installation. And it's all based off of the board that Dan, aka Citrus 3000 PSI, had posted on OSH Park a long time ago, I believe. In fact, I think I think I bought like four or five of these, as well as the parts to make them, and then never made the boards or tried the optical installation. So, anyway, for uh, anybody interested, the the links below, and it really is a way to get incredibly high quality, no analog buzz audio out of a PlayStation. A new Game Boy Homebrew was just released to celebrate the Game Boy's 30th anniversary, a shoot-'em-up called Dangan GB, which looks pretty cool. Um, I didn't get a chance to play the actual game, I only saw the trailer, but it looks exactly like what I would uh, hope and expect from a Game Boy shoot-'em-up. So anybody interested, definitely check it out. This one's pretty annoying. There's a company called Believe Music UK that's running a scam where they claim that they own all of the rights to random things that they definitely don't own the rights to. Smoke Monster wrote this article and pointed out that they're trying to claim that they own the rights to one of the Super Mario Land songs. Uh, so it's obviously a scam, and I'm really curious how many people uh, fall for it or just don't even want to be bothered and just kind of ignore it. And it's stuff like this. Uh, like all the scams where they take $1 or 50 cents out of a million people's bank accounts and no one cares, no one's going to waste their time getting on the phone to fight for 50 cents. Well, most of us wouldn't. I know a few people that probably would. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just it, people, and they know that, and people probably know that when they see it. But as long as it's just one, you know, once, whatever. And I think companies like this base the same scams on it. So... Luckily, unlike something like you see 50 cents taken out of your account, if you're a YouTuber, which a lot of people who watch this have their own channels and do their own thing, if you end up getting something like this for what you know or are pretty sure is something that they don't, they or any company like them um, don't own the music, just contest it and you'll win. Uh, I believe it's just a matter of pressing one or two buttons. You don't have to call anybody or get on the phone. So definitely take a stand against people like this. Um, and also, there is a, another service out there that pr uh, provides free-to-use music for anybody on YouTube channels or anything like that. Uh, I'll leave the link right below the link to this one for anybody that wants to check it out. Uh, you have to sign up, but signing up is free, the music you could use is free, and it's guaranteed to not be caught in any of these copyright things. So, um, you know, I just, I'm, I'm always aware of and respectful of how many Twitch users and YouTube users watch this. So I want to always try to give a heads up for things like this as well, tips, as well as tips around it. Um, and thanks to Smoke Monster for catching this one, because this was kind of a big deal. Well, the Dreamcast on flat screen TV video is finally up. The origins of this thing are over a year old when I was discussing with Fuda the follow-up to the Dreamcast on CRT video that I did, and with the release of the Dreamcast HDMI, it was time. 
Um, the video's goal was to show people why the Dreamcast signal is so weird and so hard to get right on flat screens, to go over the different options and solutions for people that this wasn't the best choice for, because this is the only solution I talked about that required a mod, so I totally get people that might not be interested in that. Um, but overall, the, you know, the short, short version is the DC HDMI is the only way to get perfect video output onto a flat screen TV, and it's also the only way to play all of the Dreamcast library through one cable. Because remember, some games are composite or S-video only, some will not work with the Switch trick, so you have to find a 480i solution. Um, and if you're chasing quality, that means you're, you're keeping an S-video cable and then a switchable solution to go between RGB and VGA. So I, I think those factors alone are probably enough for any uh, serious Dreamcast fan to consider this. But please give the video a, a watch if you're even slightly interested in Dreamcast. I think, I think I got it. I think I was able to present it in a way where people understand. Uh, but who knows? I spent so much time on this one, I think I just started to confuse myself towards the end. But definitely let me know what you think, and a uh, big thanks to Christoph and Dan for making the DC HDMI happen. And also thank you to all the people that helped, especially Fuda and Steve from HD Retrovision, especially Doug, those prototype cables. Greg Collins has just posted a 3D print design for the RetroTink 2X, and man does this thing look cool. Um, I actually like the RetroTINKS case. Um, I wasn't really hurting for a 3D print design. I was really more hoping for one for the RetroTINK Ultimate, the Raspberry Pi solution. Uh, but after seeing this one, I really want one now. Uh, it looks very cool. Um, it, you know, I, I love the embedded um, writing on it as well as the, you know, the lines to each LED so that you could see um, you could not only do you see which input, but you see which inputs lit up. It, it's really cool. It was a, a pretty, not a pretty, it was a very well thought out design. Um, so Greg was nice enough to host those files on RetroRGB, um, so you could download those for free. And I believe Castlemania Games is selling them. So that's pretty cool. Now you have choices of whether you want to just print your own, buy them from elsewhere. So either way, I'm always excited and stuff like this, and I think it's an awesome addition to a very cool scaler. The Swiss team has just released a few more versions of the GameCube launcher software, and there are a ton of updates. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, if you're interested, please check out the post, but there are things from uh, fixes for games that wouldn't work previously and different scaling options. It's all very awesome in a, you know, a big shout out to the team that works on this because there's always so many cool things added. But the thing that really struck me is a dither removal option for certain games. And when I saw the post on Shmups, I mean, it was one of those double take moments where just, in my opinion at least, it looked so much better with the dither removal turned on. So um, I'm still a little bit, you know, this stuff is a little bit magic to me. I only kind of grasp what's going on with this. But it's my opinion that the dithering on a lot of these older games, you know, pretty much pre-HD, pre-720p, um, didn't have the intent that they had hoped. Definitely not on flat screens, but to me, not even really on a good CRT. And I know, I'm sure a lot of people are screaming right now, calling me an idiot, wishing I would shut up about this. It's just my opinion. But the fact that there's now an option to remove it uh, or remove a certain type of dithering in certain GameCube games is really awesome. Um, and this is something I really want to play with because I bet it would kind of, in certain cases, breathe a new life to certain scenes of games. 
Um, but check it out for yourself. Uh, try your best to find some way to launch Swiss. I think the most common is through the Action Replay disc and an SD card. And don't forget that Swiss can boot original discs. So you don't need to use ROMs. You don't need to have a hacked GameCube. You just boot with an SD loader and you can start having this done to your original games. Uh, so definitely check it out if you're interested. Greg also posted 3D print designs for Virtual Boy game cartridge display stands. So a quick and easy print that allows you to display your Virtual Boy games as well as, you know, I guess they also double as dust covers for the bottom. Uh, so anybody interested, it seems like an easy print and something worth trying. The software Pseudo Saturn has just gotten a pretty big update with a lot of features added. And for anybody unfamiliar, Pseudo Saturn is a firmware that you could flash to Saturn Action Replay cartridges, as well as a few others, that allow you to do things like boot homebrew, boot from CDRs, boot different regions, and things like that. Um, and it's a really interesting piece of software. I only first started using it a few months ago, and now that's actually the what I use uh, primarily on my Saturn. I boot to that and then go from there. But the problem I had was I couldn't get the Action Replay to flash. So I had a mod chip Saturn that I was able to run the boot disk. Uh, I think there are two disks to choose from, and depending on your model Saturn and whatever board or CD drive or something, just if you're going to try this, burn both, and if one fails, use the other. It's, it really is that simple. Just, uh, you know, it's a quick burn and all that stuff. But the problem that I had was that the Saturn's cartridge slot is such a piece of crap that... Um, in order to get it to flash, I had to hold the cart. And yes, all of my stuff is cleaned, cleaned properly with erasers and, and isopropyl, not you know brasso and sandpaper. Uh, but still, I had to I had to hold the cart in. It eventually flashed, and then you know, as expected, it wouldn't boot unless I held the cart. So then I had to take an index card and kind of jam it between the back of the cart and uh, you know in the case of the Saturn. And it, Believe it or not, the index card trick kind of worked. It's been pretty reliable ever since. Um, but that's the only thing that I wanted to make a point for anybody who wants to try this, is definitely be uh, aware of that. But for, uh, in all honesty, I think this is a really great thing to do. I think uh, this is the perfect way to hold people off until the satiator, satiator, whatever the hell it's called, until Professor Abrasive thing, uh, thing comes out because... Uh, you know, you don't. It doesn't require a mod chip installed. You could leave it completely stock. And if you want to uh, remove the software, it's quite literally as simple as unplugging this cartridge and either just booting it without it or using a RAM cart instead. So uh, you do need a uh, modded Saturn in order to flash these. Uh, so you know, hopefully one of your friends uh, or somebody that you know that could mail you a cart could do this for you. But it's something that I really enjoy. I know a lot of friends that use uh, original discs and still use this in the same way that they use original discs and still use a GameCube with Swiss. So definitely check it out if you have a Saturn. It's worth taking a few minutes to read about how it works, all the features it has, and uh, I guarantee almost everybody will find some use for it that they'd appreciate. Crix just announced a 33% off sale on his Joy's wireless Genesis controller. Now it's at about $44.00. And to be honest, I would consider this a high-end wireless Genesis controller solution. Um, you know, any nerds know that it, it's, there's always potential for danger with wireless. It is impossible to have a flawless wireless solution, uh, but this is pretty damn close. Um, I've used it for a while. I enjoy mine very much. 
Uh, I'm still, I have that OCD of when I sit down and do some hardcore gaming, I use original controllers with extension cords, and I even actually prefer the original Genesis 3-button controller. But overall, I have no complaints over, about this one whatsoever. There are more uh, wireless controllers coming out from, I think, Retrobit and Hypercan or something, but to be honest, this is one of those situations where, um, you know, unless they offer... Unless those other ones offer something that you specifically need, I would always buy directly from the community because buying from Cricks goes to support all of his other projects. And, uh, I, you know, I imagine most of us have at least one of the EverDrives and enjoy them. So anybody who was kind of on the fence about one of these, now is definitely the time to pick one up. Uh, and I believe the sale is only directly through his website, not on any of the other resellers. But uh, definitely check it out if you're interested. And once again, I'm very happy with mine. So... Uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with it or nothing to worry about, at least. Firebrand X is now taking orders on his Genesis Model 1 audio amplifier called the M1 Mini Mega. This board gets installed and bypasses all of the amplification points on the Genesis, meaning you're getting brand new high quality audio hardware in there, getting you pretty much as good, audio, as good of an audio signal as you can get. And it's my opinion that if you're looking to mod your Model 1 Genesis, this is part of a few things that I strongly recommend. Um, the number one thing that I recommend is removing the RF port and putting a Genesis 2 style port upside down in its place. Um, it's a bit tricky uh, to get right the first time, but if you've done a few of them, it goes in pretty easily. Uh, and DB Electronics makes these very handy boards that just press right onto the top, solder the points, and now you have breakout pads for all of the connections. And this solves a few problems. This is now a really, really <coughs> easy way to get stereo audio out because the Model 2 Genesis has stereo audio through the cables. And this saves all of the weird cable issues for people that want to deal with the 32X or any adapter cables or any of that other stuff. Now you just treat it like a Genesis 2 and you're good to go. And the other good thing about this is it can handle any of the video solutions. So you could have completely stock video, just pull it right off of the CXA onto this, uh, or you could even use this with um, maybe lifting the subcarrier to get better signal or a full-on RGB bypass. So I would say that uh, this very cheap and easy addition, well, maybe not that easy because you do have to remove the RF port, but this, as well as the Firebrand X audio amp and some kind of video solution, is something that anyone who wants to mod their Model 1 Genesis should definitely look into. There's been some developments for the Capcom Play System arcade kits. Um, I'm going to break this up into two parts, but first, Marcus has posted a few updates regarding his CPS HDMI. This is a device that's a true digital-to-digital -digital video and audio conversion for the Capcom arcade systems that gets you 1080p output. And uh, anybody that's followed the channel or any of the videos I've posted, you always have the potential for a better quality signal when going digital-to-digital. -digital. So this is pretty exciting for people that like to stream or like to game on flat-screen monitors. Uh, I, I think a lot of people would use this for 1080p out to their stream and then a super gun to a RGB monitor or arcade system. So this is very cool. Uh, the updates are they'll soon be available to purchase uh, pre-assembled from Video Game Perfection. That's the board's pre-assembled, not, uh, not pre-installed. And I think this is a pretty big deal because they're pretty hard to assemble. Um, it is an open source project, so you could try yourself if you'd like, but you basically need close to BGA soldering skills. Um, it's pretty rough. 
But if you're interested in one, uh, getting one of these pre-assembled, put your name on the mailing <coughs> excuse me on the mailing list on the Video Game Perfection website, and you'll be notified the moment they're in stock. I think I got my name on there pretty much immediately. Um, but Marcus was able to get these working throughout all of the CPS2 kits and also in the CPS3s. With some extra firmware and some help from Bordy, I'm oversimplifying that, I'm sure it was a lot more work than that, but with uh, some help from Bordy, they're now compatible with no extra hardware needed. So you're able to just install these and get them to work even in widescreen mode with the CPS3 as well, which I think is pretty awesome. Also, Marcus said it's possible to make it compatible with the CPS-1 kits, but he doesn't have any hardware to test. Um, now, m myself personally, I prefer the games from the CPS-1 library. I'm sure there's a bunch of arcade people out there screaming, disagreeing with me, but it's my own personal preference. So I would love to see this for that as well. So if anybody has extra CPS-1 kits, maybe you have doubles or um, maybe, you know, you have a game that's not that popular and you're just waiting to get, uh, you know, extra games that aren't that popular and you're going to get a Dark Soft Multi anyway when it comes out. Um, if you have the ability to donate one, uh, maybe either Marcus or Matt would be willing to trade a HDMI kit for it. Um, now, I'm not affiliated with, with either, so uh, maybe I'm talking out of turn and uh, maybe I'm going to regret saying this, but uh, I mean this in a nice way, so I hope I'm not offending anybody, but if anybody has an extra CPS-1 kit they'd be willing to donate, maybe contact me, because I think it would be incredible to get this kit on the CPS-1 as well as the 2 and 3. Um, so let me know if you happen to have one. I'll speak to Marcus and Matt and see what we can get as a trade. Or maybe I'll just give up something of mine for a trade because it's something, you know, I'm basically saying uh, donate your thing for something I want. <laughs> so maybe I'll, I'll donate something awesome in return. But either way, please contact me. Uh, I'm certainly interested to see uh, how many kits we can get this thing installed to because I think that this is going to be a, a total game changer for people who want to use the CPS2 arcade boards. And uh, now let me explain why. So a few weeks ago, I started thinking about the CPS2 HDMI project, and I started thinking about people that might not even need to be gaming through analog monitors. Maybe you just want to use the HDMI out. And if that's the case, you wouldn't need or might not even want a full super gun setup just to make this work. So I started wondering, what if there was just a small, cheap and easy JAMA breakout board that allows for power input, basic dip switches like coin and menu, um, and then two Neo Geo style controller ports, so that way you could use standard arcade uh, sticks, or of course, the undammed adapters, which allow you to use pretty much every arcade stick on the planet through these things. So I spoke to Smoke Monster, who then spoke to Frank, the creator of the Sentinel Supergun, and about a day later, we have it. Um, I believe Frank's going to be selling these, uh, so anybody in Australia, just pick it up through him, make it easier. Uh, however, he also posted this up on OSH Park for people to just download themselves, which is incredible because that's, you know, usually everything arcade-related is so time-consuming and expensive. It was really awesome that Frank was able to donate this to the community. But then I started thinking about more uses for this thing. So Marcus's work, his uh, CPS2 HDMI, um, you know, it's... It's sort of similar to the work he's done on the OSSC. Certainly the similarities of manipulating analog signals or retro-style signals. So I, the first thing I thought of was, well, what about people who want to run it in 480p and just use a basic HDMI to VGA converter? 
That way you can get a really good quality VGA monitor and have a zero lag CRT experience with these kits. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's something that a lot of people would want to do, and it's way easier than trying to deal with an RGB monitor, or deal with finding one at least. And then I went a step further and thought, well, what if there was a pass-through mode? So whatever the signal was, you know, the original 240p signal, just got passed through, and then uh, outputted, you know, just to HDMI, then you could use the digital-to-analog converter and have a basic sync-combining cable. So I figured I'd give it a try. I took my CPS2 kit, which uh, once again, huge shout out to Undamned for that. It's been such a help in my testing. I took that kit, I took the, the Hass, which I absolutely love, um, and then I plugged that into, <coughs> well, first into my RGB monitor and took some pictures, basic, you know, just quick reference shots. And then I plugged it into my OSSC in pass-through mode and then used a digital to analog converter, and then a, a, just an easy sync combining cable. Uh, something, I mean, some, for a situation like this, it should be fairly easy and cheap to make a, a quick cable. But now I'm running on my RGB monitor, basically from digital to analog, and it was perfect. So that really hit me. Because uh, the whole thing about super guns is they're very often complicated to use. The ones that are easy and amazing, like the Hass and the Sentinel, very often have wait lists or, um, you know, maybe you just have a CPS-2 and you don't need to even go down the road of super guns. But to be able to have one video output solution on these CPS-2s that, you know, you could do every, <coughs> everything. Go to your flat screen, um, you know, go directly to an RGB monitor or a VG mon VGA monitor. I, I think having that combined with Frank's uh, just mini adapter board would be the perfect solution for almost everybody doing the CPS-2 stuff. Um, in fact, I think even streamers might, depending on your setup, might be able to split that direct 240p output um, and send one to your capture card and one to your uh, to your CRT monitor. And you might even that might even be a help for you overall because it's less stuff to lug around. So uh, I talked to Marcus about it, and he says he thinks it's possible to add both 480p and pass-through modes. Um, I don't want to put any time frame on it. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to hold him to anything. But I, I just I got really excited about this whole thing because I think most people who own super guns um, have at least more than one arcade board. And I know for me personally, having having something like this left in my CPS2 so that I could use my Hass and my Sentinel when I get that one on all my other boards, um, not only is it easier to use the CPS2, it makes everything else easier because I don't have to, you know, maybe I leave, you know, the my super gun and my favorite arcade board and the CPS2 next to it. You know, it's almost like having a second super gun. So... Uh, it, you know, I just, I don't know how many other people would get on board for this. Uh, definitely post down in the comments. I just really think that this is a solution that is a win for everybody. And uh, I hope that it's not technically too much of a pain for Marcus to add that stuff in. I don't know if he'd, uh, he would requ be required to add an on-screen menu along with it or if there's some kind of button push that we could add. But please let me know your thoughts down below. <clears throat> uh, you know, let me know if 
I'm the only one who thinks uh, this is a great idea. I've rambled on too long already, so I'm going to stop right now. But I just am pretty excited for this. Uh, I ordered the uh, the boards from OSH Park from Frank. Um, I've been talking to Marcus and will continue to, so hopefully I will be able to get some firmware to test. And as soon as those boards get in stock, I'm going to be nagging Matt to death for him to send me one so I could start testing all of this. I just think anytime you can make an arcade experience easier and technically better, everybody wins. So uh, let me know your thoughts down below, but I'm pretty excited for this, and thanks to everybody involved. Genovi's Retro Impressions just posted a short but thorough review of VGC's Sega CD plastic replacement cases. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to spoil the video, but the short, short version is um, they're pretty much a perfect replacement for Sega CDs. Um, some real OCD people would notice some differences, but it's my opinion that I, I've seen a lot of those Sega CD cases just shattered with almost nothing left. Um, and if that's the case, this is, you know, without a doubt going to be what I would consider at least an excellent replacement. Um, apparently there's some s subtle differences where, uh, even people who aren't crazy OCD freaks would be able to know that they're not, a, you know, perfect for Saturn or PlayStation 1, but they work well. They're perfect functionally. They just don't look exactly like it. So they're a little expensive. It's $60 for 10, but you get high quality case replacements. And uh, I just think anybody with Sega CD games has at least one that's all smashed up. So maybe get a couple friends together, I'll chip in for this one, and each of you get a couple of the cases. A prototype of Mortal Kombat 1's HD remake was just posted on a forum. And I think this may have been the fan-made HD remake that started a few years ago and then uh, had to be taken down because obviously it's other people's intellectual property that they're using. But um, I don't know... I don't know why it was released now. I'm sure it has something to do with the MK11 hype, but it looks awesome. Um, MK1 is my favorite fighting game of all time. It's the only one I'm even kind of good at. So, uh, you know, this always will be a special place in my heart for this one. And it was very cool to try out. Uh, it's PC only at the moment, but it was very cool to try out this remake. So anybody that's interested, you could download it. And uh, as soon as you boot it, there's a controller config screen, making it really, really easy to run. So uh, any MK fans got to give it at least a minute of their time. Japan has just passed a law that seems as if it had made console modding illegal. Now, I'm not sure where this got translated. Maybe some of my native Japanese-speaking friends could help with this. But uh, according to the English translation on Silicon Era, the, uh, the law prohibits distribution of game save data editors and programs, distribution, selling, and auctioning serial codes and product keys without the software maker's permission, and here's the kicker, services that offer the editing or hacking of save data and or modifying or hacking game consoles. So I don't understand the save data thing. Maybe that's something on uh, purchases in newer games or something like that. Um, uh, I've never run into that before, but I imagined a plausible scenario where you could hack your save game to... Now you have more more in-game money than you did before. So that makes sense to me. Um, selling of serial codes and product keys without the software maker's permission, um, that's something that's been globally for a long time with things like the Windows product key and all that stuff. So I'm not sure how that's going to affect games. Um, maybe download codes, is that going to be an issue for this? Um, and do we even care? But the last thing... Services that offer <laughs> the editing, hacking of save data and or modifying or hacking game consoles. That's the one that's going to be tricky. 
um, because I would interpret that to think that they don't want people offering mod services for like the 3DS that allows you to put a ton of games on it or the Switch or the PS4 because there are consoles that are currently in service and you're stealing from developers by doing that. But I, I just, I can't imagine that they would say that you're not allowed to add RGB to a, a Super Famicom Mini or, or anything like that. It, and this is one of those things where, at least in the U.S., um, it's, the answer to this is uh, whoever has the better lawyer wins, which is a shitty thing to say, but that's just how it is over here. So um, this is kind of interesting, and it's kind of the opposite of what happened in the U.S. a few years ago, where um, they basically said that jailbreaking a product was legal because you own the product, and then they flip, uh, flip-flopped on that a few times. But uh, if anybody speaks Japanese fluently and could confirm this, that would be pretty cool. Because uh, it would be kind of interesting to see, because there's a lot of cool stuff that's uh, Japan-only, and that would fall under those te- weird technicalities. So, uh, and I'm pretty interested to see what this is going to be like and how this would affect people who make products and then ship them to Japan. Would they get in trouble for that? So... Uh, Anybody who has any more info on this, please chime in. Second Opinion Games just did an interview with the director of The Messenger, the new game available on the Switch, Uh, and it was pretty interesting. I liked hearing the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and um, it's just cool to see retro-inspired games done right. Uh, Anybody that watched the video with Wes and I a few months ago talking about the, the games that we'd played in the past year, I was mostly disappointed and and have continued to be thoroughly disappointed since then. Uh, I think the game I'm playing now, Monster Boy, is awesome. I'm stuck at a part where it's starting to be it's starting to be so annoying to get through this part that it's taking away from the fun of the game. But we'll see what happens. Maybe it's just one of those bumps in the road that I'm not good at, and then the game will go back to being fun again. I hope. Uh, but either way, either way, after I finish Monster Boy, this is the game I definitely want to play, and I've heard nothing but good things. So uh, if you're interested in behind-the-scenes stuff with the director of The Messenger, definitely check it out. PSCD Games has just released another trailer to their upcoming Resident Evil D-Make called BioEvil. This game is going to be on the Sega Genesis and uh, is a full remake of that game. And I really can't wait to play it. I've played a few D-Makes before, and some were amazing, some were okay, but uh, I just think stuff like this is awesome. And I love 16-bit games, so I really want to give this one a try. And uh, I also want to see Carsey play this game, who's a a phenomenal Resident Evil Evil gamer. I'd love to see his take on this as well. So um, there's a demo up that I think was from over a year ago. And while there's no word on release date, um, I hope they take their time on this and release it when it's done, or release it in sections or something, because I'm really excited about this one. I hope it's as good as, uh, as at least as good as it looks. 8BitDo has just released a firmware update for their PS Classic wireless USB stick that allows you to access the hidden menu through a button combination. I think this is pretty neat. I think this was a, a pretty creative little trick. I imagine that they're basically just spoofing the way that those special keyboards uh, look so that when it sends the data to the PS Classic, it looks as if it's that keyboard plugged in with that button combo. So uh, I think that was a pretty creative update. Um, I'm still not sure if it makes the PS Classic worth buying, but they are down to $60 directly from Amazon now. Um, no, no codes, no drive to the store, no crap like Target was trying to do, or some targets it was 35, but most it was some weird trick to get you in the store, and then it was just 60. So just straight up 60 bucks on Amazon now, um, and their adapter is 20. 
So in, uh, their adapter allows you to use um, a PS4 DualShock controller, which is great. So if you already have one of those controllers and you're into this and maybe you'd want to hack it and mess around with it, I don't know. 60 still seems a little too expensive for me to want to play with it, but I did think that this was a pretty creative way to access that menu. So uh, if you already own all these things, you got to update it just to see. Hyperkin has just announced a few products to be revealed at CES this week. Um, the first is the Hyper Blaster HD, which is basically a zapper that will supposedly work on an HD TV. However, they only specifically named Duck Hunt for compatibility, and um, I guess there's an adapter for HD TV compatibility as well. Uh, because of everything Hyperkin's ever released, I am skeptical of this until I see it myself. <laughs> uh, also, I guess there's something called the uh, Retron Do It Yourself, Retron DIY which is basically a Raspberry Pi Zero um, with a SNES case to it. So that's kind of neat. Um, I'm glad that they're embracing emulation instead of stealing it. Uh, and I'm really kind of curious to see this as well as the other stuff they were talking about, about releasing at CES. They have a history of talking about stuff that never materializes. CES in general is usually a cesspool of vaporware. So um, I wanted to mention this because a lot of people had talked about it. I think Ronnie actually wrote up the article for me. Yeah, thanks, Ronnie. But um, it, it just anytime you hear Hypergen announce anything, take a deep breath and just remember the company's history. Uh, and I hope if this does work that they're not just stealing the work of the LCD, uh, LCD mod people because that would just suck and that would be yet another thing that they stole, which I'm speculating on an announcement. That probably wasn't fair to say, but let's all just pay attention and see how they accomplish this. And hopefully it's their own tech and not borrowed on some of the new advancements that people have figured out with ROM modding. Before I go, I got to have a huge shout out and thank you to Justin from Console Kits. Uh, he was the one that got the website updated to the way it is now. And last week the website broke uh, and he jumped in to fix it. So uh, if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't see the website the way you do, and it probably would still be broken from last week, as well as the time before it, when it was my fault, when I actually broke it. <laughs> so thank you very much for all the help. Um, and also thank you to all the writers for coming up with all these very cool stories, a lot of stuff that I would have never stumbled across. And obviously, and of course, thanks to all of you for watching, sharing the stories, posting about it. Um, I'm really trying very hard to grow this site and to make it more of a collaboration as well as eventually extend into that wiki, which, uh, you know, that's slower going, but definitely being, you know, definitely in the works. Uh, and I'm just really glad to see it all happen. The website has never been about me. And while I really hope I get the pleasure of doing these videos, um, at the very least the weeklies and some of the fun ones for the foreseeable future, uh, the site's never been and certainly is not just me. It is a collaboration of very awesome people that I'm very thankful for. So uh, don't forget to do all that crap. Like, subscribe, share news articles, talk about them. You know, whatever free things you can do to help are always appreciated and are going to help this thing grow. So thanks to all of you. And of course, thanks to all of our supporters, both myself and the writers, people who support on Patreon, Subscribestar, Bit, Bit thing, the Bitcoin one that just came out. Sorry, I forgot the name of it. Uh, it really means a lot and it's what keeps these things going. So thanks so much to all your support. Thanks to everybody who contributes and I'll see you next week.